Part 3, Chapter 4, Section 138 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3, History of the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 4, Death and Resurrection of Jesus. Section 138, Appearances of the Risen Jesus in Galilee and in Judea including those mentioned by Paul and the apocryphal writings. The most important of all the differences in the history of the resurrection turns upon the question, what locality did Jesus design to be the chief theater of his appearances after the resurrection? The two first gospels make Jesus, before his death, when retiring to the Mount of Olives, utter this promise to his disciples, after i am risen again i will go before you into galilee matthew chapter 26 verse 32 mark chapter 14 verse 28 the same assurance is given to the women by the angels on the morning of the resurrection with the addition there shall ye see him matthew chapter 28 verse 7 mark chapter 16 verse 7 and in matthew Besides all this, Jesus, in his own person, commissions the women to say to the disciples, That they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Chapter 28, verse 10. In Matthew, the journey of the disciples into Galilee, with the appearance of Jesus which they there witnessed, the only one to the disciples, recorded by the evangelist, is actually narrated in the sequel. Mark, after describing the amazement into which the women were thrown by the angelic appearance, breaks off in the enigmatical manner already mentioned, and appends some appearances of Jesus, which, as the first happens immediately after the resurrection, and therefore necessarily in Jerusalem, and no change of place is mentioned before the succeeding ones, while the earlier direction to go into Galilee is lost sight of, must all be regarded as appearances in and around Jerusalem. John knows nothing of a direction to the disciples to go into Galilee, and makes Jesus show himself to the disciples on the evening of the day of resurrection, and again eight days after in Jerusalem. The concluding chapter, however, which forms an appendix to his gospel, describes an appearance by the Sea of Galilee. In Luke, on the other hand, not only is there no trace of an appearance in Galilee, Jerusalem with its environs being made the sole theater of the appearances of Christ which this gospel relates, but there is also put into the mouth of Jesus, when, on the evening after the resurrection, he appears to the assembled disciples in Jerusalem, with injunction, Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. In the Acts chapter 1 verse 4, more definitely expressed by the negative, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. Chapter 24 verse 49. Here, two questions inevitably arise. First, how can Jesus have directed the disciples to journey into Galilee, and yet at the same time 
have commanded them to remain in Jerusalem until Pentecost? And secondly, how could he refer them to a promised appearance in Galilee, when he had the intention of showing himself to them that very day in and near Jerusalem? The first contradiction which presents itself more immediately between Matthew and Luke has by no one been more pointedly exhibited than by the Wolfenbüttel fragmentist. If, he writes, it be true, as Luke says, that Jesus appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem on the day of his resurrection, and commanded them to remain there, and not to depart thence until Pentecost, then is it false that he commanded them within the same period to journey into Galilee, that he might appear to them there, and vice versa? The harmonists, indeed, affected to regard this objection as unimportant, and only remarked briefly that the injunction to remain in a city was not equivalent to an arrest, and did not exclude walks and excursions in the neighborhood, and that Jesus merely forbade the removal of residents from Jerusalem, and the going out into all the world to preach the gospel before the given term should arrive. But the journey from Jerusalem to Galilee is not a mere walk, but the longest expedition which the Jew could make within the limits of his own country. As little was it an excursion for the apostles, but rather a return to their home, while what Jesus intended to prohibit to the disciples in that injunction cannot have been the going out into all the world to preach the gospel, since they would have no impulse to do this before the outpouring of the Spirit. Nor can it have been the removal of residents from Jerusalem, since they were there only as strangers visiting at the feast. Rather, Jesus must have meant to deter them from that very journey which it was the most natural for them to take, that is, from the return to their native province, Galilee, after the expiration of the feast days. Besides this, and even Michaelis confesses himself obliged to wonder here, if Luke does not mean by that prohibition of Jesus to exclude the journey into Galilee, why is it that he alludes to this by no single word? And in like manner, if Matthew knew that his direction to go into Galilee was consistent with the command to remain in the metropolis, why has he omitted the latter, together with the appearances in Jerusalem? This is certainly a plain proof that the accounts of the two evangelists are based on a different idea as to the theatre on which the risen Jesus appeared. In this exigency of having to reconcile two contradictory commands given on the same day, the comparison with the Acts presented a welcome help by indicating a distinction of the times. Here, namely, the command of Jesus that the disciples should not leave Jerusalem is placed in his last appearance, forty days after the resurrection, and immediately before the ascension. At the close of the Gospel of Luke, it is likewise in the last interview, terminating in the ascension that the above command is given. Now, 
though from the summary representation of the gospel taken by itself it must be believed that all occurred on the very day of the resurrection we nevertheless see it is said from the history of the acts by the same author that between verses forty three and forty four in the last chapter of his gospel we must interpose the forty days from the resurrection to the ascension herewith then the apparent contradiction between these two commands vanishes for one who in the first instance indeed enjoins a journey into galilee may very well forty days later after this journey had been made and the parties are once more in the metropolis now forbid any further removal from thence but as the dread of admitting a contradiction between different new testament authors is no ground for departing from the natural interpretation of their expressions so neither can this be justified by the apprehension that the same author may in different writings contradict himself since if the one were written somewhat later than the other the author may in the interim have been on many points otherwise informed than when he composed his first work that this was actually the case with luke in relation to that part of the life of jesus which followed his resurrection we shall have reason to be convinced when we come to the history of the ascension and this conclusion removes all ground for interposing nearly five weeks between the ephagen verse forty three and ipe de verse forty four in defiance of their obviously immediate connection at the same time however it does away with the possibility of reconciling the opposite commands of jesus in matthew and luke by a distinction of times meanwhile even admitting that this contradiction might be in some way or other removed still even without that express command which luke mentions the mere facts as narrated by him and his predecessor and successor remain irreconcilable with the injunction which jesus gives to the disciples in matthew for asks the fragmentist if the disciples collectively twice saw him spoke with him touched him and ate with him in jerusalem how can it be that they must have had to take the long journey into galilee in order to see him the harmonists it is true boldly reply when jesus causes his disciples to be told that they will see him in galilee it is by no means said that they will see him nowhere else still less that they will not see him in jerusalem but the fragmentist might rejoin after his manner as little as one who says to me go to rome there you shall see the pope can mean that the pope will indeed come first through my present place of residence so as to be seen by me here but afterwards i must yet go to rome in order to see him again there so little would the angel in matthew and mark if he had had any anticipation of the appearance in jerusalem 
on the very same day have said to the disciples go into galilee there will jesus show himself to you but rather be comforted ye shall yet see him here in jerusalem before evening wherefore the reference to the more remote event when there was one of the same kind close at hand wherefore an appointment by means of the women for the disciples to meet jesus in galilee if the latter foresaw that he should on the same day personally speak with the disciples with reason does the latest criticism insist on what lessing had previously urged namely that no rational person would make an appointment with his friends through a third party for a joyful reunion at a distant place if he were certain of seeing them repeatedly on the same day in their present locality if thus the angel and jesus himself when they in the morning by means of the women directed the disciples to go into galilee cannot yet have known that he would show himself to them on the evening of the same day in and near jerusalem he must in the morning have still held the intention of going immediately into galilee but in the course of the day have embraced another purpose according to paulus an indication of such an original intention is found in luke in the travelling of jesus towards emmaus which lay in the direction of galilee while the reason for the alteration of plan is supposed by the same expositor with whom in this instance olhausen agrees to have been the belief of the disciples as more particularly manifested to jesus on occasion of the journey to emmaus how so erroneous a calculation on the part of jesus can consist with the orthodox view of his person is olhausen's care but even regarding him in a purely human character there appears no sufficient reason for such a change of mind especially after jesus had been recognized by the two disciples going to emmaus he might be certain that the testimony of the men would so accredit the assertion of the women as to lead the disciples with at least a glimmering ray of faith and hope into galilee but in general if a change of mind and a diversity of plan in jesus before and after that change really existed why does no one evangelist take any notice of such a retraction why does luke speak as if he knew nothing of the original plan matthew as if he knew nothing of a subsequent alteration john as if the principal theatre of the appearances of the risen jesus had been jerusalem and he had only by way of supplement at length showed himself in galilee lastly why does mark speak so as to make it evident that having gathered the original direction to go into galilee from matthew and the succeeding appearances in jerusalem and its environs from luke or elsewhere he was unable nor did he even make the attempt in any way to reconcile them but placed them together as he found them rough-hewn 
and contradictory. According to this, we must agree with the latest criticism of the Gospel of Matthew in acknowledging the contradiction between it and the rest in relation to the locality of the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. But, it must be asked, can we also approve the verdict of this criticism when it at once renounces the representation of the first gospel in favor of that of the other evangelists? If, setting aside all presuppositions as to the apostolic origin of this or that gospel, we put to the question, which of the two divergent accounts is the best adapted to be regarded as a traditional modification and development of the other? We can here refer not merely to the general nature of the accounts, but also to a single point at which the two touch each other in a characteristic manner. This is the address of the angel to the women, in which, according to all the synoptists, Galilee is mentioned, but in a different way. In Matthew, the angel, as has been already noticed, says of Jesus, He goeth before you into Galilee. Lo, I have told you. Chapter 28, verse 7. In Mark, he says the same, except that instead of the latter addition, by which in Matthew the angel seeks to impress his own words on the women, he has the expression, As he said unto you, with which he refers to the earlier prediction of Jesus concerning this circumstance. If we first compare these two representations, the confirmatory, I have told you, might easily appear superfluous and nugatory, while, on the other hand, the reference to the earlier prediction of Jesus by he said might seem more appropriate, and on this the conjecture might be founded that perhaps Mark has here the correct and original phrase, Matthew a variation, not unaccompanied by a misunderstanding. But if we include the account of Luke in the comparison, we find here, as in Mark, the words, Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. A reference to an earlier prediction of Jesus, not, however, referring to Galilee, but delivered in Galilee. Here the question occurs, is it more probable that Galilee, from being the designation of the locality in which the prophecy of the resurrection was uttered, should at a later period be erroneously converted into a designation of the locality where the risen one would appear, or the contrary? In order to decide this, we must ascertain in which of the two positions the mention of Galilee is the more intrinsically suited to the context. Now that, on the announcement of the resurrection, it was an important point whether and where the risen Jesus was to be seen, is self-evident. It was of less moment, in referring to an earlier prediction, to specify where this prediction was uttered. Hence, from this comparison of the passages, it might already be held more probable that it was originally said, the angels directed the disciples to go into Galilee, there to see the risen one, Matthew. But afterwards, when the narratives of the appearances of Jesus in Judea 
had gradually supplanted those in galilee a different turn was given to the mention of galilee in the address of the angel so as to make it imply that already in galilee jesus had predicted his resurrection luke whereupon mark appears to have taken a middle course since he with luke refers the ipon changed into ipain to jesus but with matthew retains galilee as the theatre not of the earlier prediction of jesus but of the coming appearance if we next take into consideration the general character of the two narratives and the nature of the case there exist the same objections to the supposition that jesus after his resurrection appeared several times to his disciples in and near jerusalem but that the remembrance of this fact was lost and the same arguments in favor of the opposite supposition as we have respectively applied to the analogous alternatives in relation to the various journeys to the feasts and judean residences of jesus that the appearances of the risen jesus in jerusalem should undesignedly that is by a total obliteration of them from the minds of individuals have sunk into oblivion in galilee where according to this presupposition the tradition of matthew was formed is difficult to conceive both from the pre-eminent importance of these appearances which as for example those before the assembled eleven and before thomas involved the surest attestations of the reality of his resurrection and also from the organizing influence of the community in jerusalem while that the judean appearances of jesus were indeed known in galilee but intentionally suppressed by the author of the first gospel in order to preserve the honor for his province alone would presuppose an exclusivism an opposition of the galilean christians to the church at jerusalem of which we have not the slightest historical trace the other contrary possibility that perhaps originally only galilean appearances of the risen jesus were known but that tradition gradually added appearances in judea and jerusalem and that at length these completely supplanted the former may on many grounds be heightened into a probability first as respects the time the tidings of the resurrection of jesus were the most striking the more immediately his appearances followed on his burial and resurrection if however he first appeared in galilee such an immediate sequence of the events could not exist further it was a natural idea that the resurrection of jesus must have been attested by appearances in the place where he died lastly the objection that jesus after his pretended resurrection only appeared to his own friends and in a corner of galilee was in some degree repelled when it could be alleged that on the contrary he walked as one arisen from the dead in the metropolis in the midst of his furious enemies though indeed he was neither to be taken nor seen by them but when once several appearances of jesus were laid in judea and jerusalem 
the appearances in Galilee lost their importance, and might thenceforth either be appended in a subordinate position, as in the fourth gospel, or even be entirely overlooked, as in the third. This result, drawn from the possible mode of legendary formation, not being opposed, as in the inquiry concerning the theatre of the ministry of the living Jesus, by a contrary one drawn from the circumstances and designs of Jesus, we may, in contradiction to the criticism of the day, decide in favour of the first gospel, whose account of the appearance of the risen Jesus recommends itself as the more simple and free from difficulty. As regards the appearances of the risen Jesus taken singly, the first gospel has two, one on the morning of the resurrection to the women, chapter 28, verse 9 and following, and one, the time of which is undetermined, before the disciples in Galilee, chapter 28, verse 16 and following. Mark, in what is indeed a merely summary statement, enumerates three, the first to Mary Magdalene on the morning of the resurrection, chapter 16, verse 9 and following, a second to two disciples going into the country, chapter 16, verse 12, and a third to the eleven as they sat at meat, doubtless in Jerusalem, chapter 16, verse 14. Luke narrates only two appearances, that before the disciples going to Emmaus on the day of the resurrection, chapter 24, verse 13 and following, and the last before the eleven and other disciples in Jerusalem, according to chapter 24, verse 36 and following, on the evening of the same day, according to the Acts, chapter 1, verse 4 and following, forty days later. But when the travellers to Emmaus, on rejoining the apostles, are greeted by them, before Jesus has appeared in the midst of them, with the information, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. Chapter 24, verse 34. Here, a third appearance is presupposed, which was granted to Peter alone. John has four such appearances. The first to Mary Magdalene at the grave, chapter 20, verse 14 and following, the second to the disciples when the doors were shut, chapter 20, verse 19 and following, the third likewise in Jerusalem, eight days later, when Thomas was convinced, chapter 20, verse 26 and following, the fourth, of which the time is unspecified, at the Galilean Sea, chapter 21. But here we have also to take into consideration a statement of the Apostle Paul, who, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 and following, if we deduct the appearance of Christ granted to himself, enumerates five appearances after the resurrection, without, however, giving any precise description of them, one to Cephas, one to the twelve, one before more than five hundred brethren at once, one to James, and lastly, one before all the apostles. Now, how shall we make an orderly arrangement of these various appearances? The right of priority is, in John, and still more expressly in Mark, claimed for that to Mary Magdalene. 
the second must have been the meeting of jesus with the women returning from the grave in matthew but as mary magdalene was likewise among these and there is no indication that she had previously seen jesus these two appearances cannot be regarded as distinct but rather as one under two different garbs paul who in the above-named passage speaks as if he meant to enumerate all the appearances of the resuscitated christ of which he knew omits the one in question but it may perhaps be said in explanation of this that he did not choose to adduce the testimony of women as the order in which he enumerates his christophanies to judge from the succession of ita and apita and the conclusion with eschaton appears to be the order of time according to him the appearance before cephas was the first that happened before a man this would agree well with the representation of luke in which the journeyers to emmaus on rejoining the disciples in jerusalem are met by them with the information that jesus is really arisen and has appeared to simon which might possibly be the case before his interview with those two disciples as the next appearance however according to luke we must number that last named which paul would not mention perhaps because he chose to adduce only those which were seen by apostles and from among the rest only those which happened before great masses of witnesses or more probably because it was unknown to him mark chapter sixteen verse twelve and following evidently refers to the same appearance the contradiction that while in luke the assembled disciples meet those coming from emmaus with the believing exclamation the lord is risen etc in mark the disciples are said to have remained incredulous even to the account of those two witnesses probably proceeds from nothing more than an exaggeration of mark who will not lose his hold of the contrast between the most convincing appearances of jesus and the most obstinate unbelief of the disciples the appearance on the way to emmaus is in luke immediately followed by that in the assembly of the eleven and others this is generally held to be identical with the appearance before the twelve mentioned by paul and with that which john narrates when jesus on the evening after the resurrection entered while the doors were closed among the disciples out of whose number however thomas was wanting it is not fair to urge in opposition to this identification the eleven of luke as at variance with the statement of john that only ten apostles were present any more than the twelve of paul from which number judas at least must be deducted moreover the similar manner in which the two evangelists describe the entrance of jesus by esti e meso auton and esti aisto meson and the greeting cited in both instances erini humin appear to indicate the identity of the two appearances nevertheless if we consider that the handling of the body of jesus which in john first happens eight days later 
and the eating of the broiled fish which john assigns to the still later appearance in galilee are connected by luke with that scene in jerusalem on the day of the resurrection it is evident that either the third evangelist has here compressed several incidents into one or the fourth has divided one into several whichever alternative may be chosen this appearance before the apostles in jerusalem however as has been above remarked according to matthew could not have happened since this evangelist makes the eleven journey to galilee in order to see jesus mark and luke in his gospel annex the ascension to this appearance and thus exclude all subsequent ones as the next appearance the apostle paul has that before five hundred brethren which is generally regarded as the same with the one which matthew places on a mountain in galilee but at this only the eleven are stated to have been present and moreover the discourse of jesus on the occasion consisting principally of official instructions appears more suited to this narrow circle paul next deduces an appearance to james of which there is also an apocryphal account in the hebrew gospel of jerome according to which however it must have been the first of all here there would be space for that appearance in which according to the fourth gospel eight days after the resurrection of jesus thomas was convinced wherewith paul would closely agree if his expression to all the apostles verse seven which he uses in relation to this appearance were really to be understood of a full assembly of the eleven in distinction from the earlier one when thomas was not present which however as paul according to the above presupposition had described this also as an appearance before the twelve is impossible on the contrary the apostle intends as well by the twelve as by all the apostles the collective body of apostles whose proper number was then indeed incomplete by one man in opposition to the individuals cephas and james of whom in each case he had just before spoken as having witnessed a christophany if however we were nevertheless to regard the fifth appearance of jesus according to paul as identical with the third in john it would only be the more clearly evident that the fourth in paul before the five hundred brethren cannot have been the one in galilee recorded by matthew for as in john the third took place in jerusalem the fourth in galilee jesus and the apostles must in that case have gone into galilee after the first appearances in jerusalem and have met on the mountain then have returned to jerusalem where jesus showed himself to thomas then again have proceeded into galilee where the appearance by the sea occurred and lastly have once more returned to jerusalem for the ascension in order to avoid this useless journeying backwards and forwards and yet to be able to combine those two appearances 
Olhausen lays the appearance before Thomas in Galilee, an inadmissible violence, since not only is there no mention of a change of place between this and the foregoing, which is by implication represented as happening in Jerusalem, but the place of assembly is in both instances described in the same manner, nay, the addition, the doors being shut, will not allow the supposition of any other locality than Jerusalem, because in Galilee, where there was less excitement against Jesus from the enmity of the priesthood, there cannot be supposed to have been the same reason for that precaution, in the fear of the Jews. Thus, first, where the Judean appearances close with that happening eight days after the resurrection, we should obtain room to insert the Galilean appearances of Matthew and John. But these have the peculiar position that each claims to be the first, and that of Matthew at the same time the last. By the tenor of his whole narrative, and expressly by adding, after the statement that the disciples went to a mountain in Galilee, the words, where Jesus had appointed them, Matthew marks this appearance as the one to which Jesus had referred on the morning of the resurrection, first by the angel, and then in his own person. But no one concerts a second meeting in a particular place, leaving the first undetermined. Consequently, as an unforeseen earlier meeting is incompatible with the evangelical idea of Jesus, that meeting, since it was the concerted one, was also the first in Galilee. If, thus, the appearance at the Sea of Tiberias in John cannot possibly be placed before that on the mountain in Matthew, so the latter will just as little suffer the other to follow it, since it is a formal leave-taking of Jesus from his disciples. Moreover, it would be more than ever difficult to understand how the appearance in John could be made out, in accordance with the evangelist's own statement, to be the third phanerosis of the risen Christ before his disciples, chapter 21, verse 14, if that of the first gospel must also be supposed to precede it. Meanwhile, even allowing the priority of the former, this numerical notice of John remains sufficiently perplexing. We might, it is true, deduct the appearances before the women, because, though John himself narrates that to Mary Magdalene, he does not take it into his account. But if we number that to Cephas as the first, and that on the way to Emmaus as the second, then this Galilean appearance as the third would fall between the above and that before the eleven on the evening of the resurrection, which would presuppose a rapidity of locomotion totally impossible. Nay, if that appearance before the assembled eleven is the same with the one at which, according to John, Thomas was absent, the third appearance of John would fall before his first. Perhaps, however, when we consider the expression, showed himself to his disciples, we ought to understand that John only numbers such appearances 
as happened before several disciples at once, so that those before Peter and James should be deducted. In that case, we must number as the first the appearance to the two disciples going to Emmaus, as the second that before the assembled eleven on the evening of the resurrection, and thus in the eight days between this and the one before Thomas, the journey into Galilee would fall somewhat more conveniently. But also the third appearance of John would fall before his second. Perhaps, then, the author of the fourth gospel held the two disciples, whom Jesus met on the way to Emmaus, too small a number, to entitle this Christophany to rank as a phenerousthai tois mathetais. On this supposition, the entrance of Jesus among the assembled disciples in the evening would be the first appearance. Hereupon, the five hundred brethren to whom Jesus showed himself at once would surely be numerous enough to be taken into the reckoning, so that the Galilean appearance of John, that is, his third, must be inserted after this but then it would still fall before that to Thomas and all the apostles, which John enumerates as the second. Perhaps, however, the appearance of Jesus before the five hundred is to be placed later, so that after that entrance of Jesus among the assembled disciples would first follow the scene with Thomas, after this the appearance at the Sea of Galilee, and only then the sight of Jesus granted to the five hundred. But if the appearance before Thomas is to be reckoned the same with the fifth in Paul's enumeration, this apostle must have reversed the order of the two last appearances, a transposition for which there was no reason. On the contrary, it would have been more natural to place last the appearance before the five hundred brethren as the most important. Thus, nothing remains but to say, John understood under the word Mathetais merely a greater or smaller assembly of the apostles, but among the five hundred there was no apostle, hence he omitted these also, and thus correctly numbered the appearance at the Sea of Tiberias as the third. If indeed this could have happened before the one on the mountain in Galilee, which we have seen to be inconceivable. The above expedients resorted to by way of accommodation are in part ridiculous enough, but Kern has lately surpassed them all by a suggestion which he advances with great confidence, namely, that John here intends to number not the appearances, but the days on which appearances took place, so that, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples, means, now had Jesus already appeared to his disciples on three separate days, namely, four times on the day of the resurrection, then once eight days after, and now again some days later. Renouncing such expedients, nothing remains but to acknowledge that the fourth evangelist numbers only those appearances of Jesus to his disciples, which he had himself narrated. And the reason of this can scarcely have been that the rest, 
for some cause or other, appear to him less important, but rather that he knew nothing of them. And again, Matthew, with his last Galilean appearance, can have known nothing of the two in Jerusalem recorded by John. For if in the first of these ten apostles had been convinced of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, and in the second Thomas also, it could not have been that at that later appearance on the mountain in Galilee, some of the eleven, for only these are represented by Matthew as going thither, still doubted. Lastly, if Jesus here delivered to his disciples the final command to go into all the world teaching and baptizing, and gave them the promise to be with them until the end of the existing age, which is manifestly the tone of one who is taking leave, he cannot subsequently, as is narrated in the introduction to the Acts, have communicated to them his last commands and taken leave of them at Jerusalem. According to the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, this farewell departure, on the contrary, occurs much earlier than can be supposed in accordance with Matthew. And in the close of the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is represented as parting from his disciples in Jerusalem on the very day of his resurrection, partly the same words are put into his mouth, as, according to Matthew, are spoken in Galilee. And, in any case, later than on the day of the resurrection. The fact that the two books of the same author, Luke, diverge so widely from each other in relation to the time during which Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, that one determines this time to have been a single day, the other forty days, cannot be taken into more particular consideration until we have reached a farther point of our inquiry. Thus, the various evangelical writers only agree as to a few of the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. The designation of the locality in one excludes the appearances narrated by the rest. The determination of time in another leaves no space for the narratives of his fellow evangelists. The enumeration of a third is given without any regard to the events reported by his predecessors. Lastly, among several appearances recounted by various narrators, each claims to be the last, and yet has nothing in common with the others. Hence, nothing but willful blindness can prevent the perception that no one of the narrators knew and presupposed what another records that each again had heard a different account of the matter, and that consequently, at an early period, there were current only uncertain and very varied reports concerning the appearances of the risen Jesus. This conclusion, however, does not shake the passage in the first epistle to the Corinthians, which, it being undoubtedly genuine, was written about the year 59 after Christ consequently not thirty years after his resurrection. On this authority we must believe that many members of the primitive church who were yet living at the time when this epistle was written, especially the apostles, were convinced 
that they had witnessed appearances of the risen christ whether this involves the admission that some objective reality lay at the foundation of these appearances will hereafter become the subject of inquiry concerning the present point the divergencies of the evangelists especially in relation to the locality the passage of paul offers nothing decisive since he has given no particular description of any of those appearances End of section 138